My last topic is qualified small business stock. And there are th three things that we want to know. First, Section 1045 permits a taxpayer to roll over gain on the disposition of qualified small business stock. Typically, it's, it's limited and it's used by, say, for example, investment partnerships to take their gains and roll them into the next project. 1202 permits the gain to be excluded on the sale of small business stock, and I think that provision, you know, we became interested in it at the because it expires. Uh, Non-corporate taxpayers may receive, exclude from gross income 100% of the, any of the gain realized on the sale of qualified small business stock held for more than five years if it's acquired before January 1st, 2012. We got interested in the project. We had an investor who's poured a lot of money at it and has either losses and or suspended losses. We have the inventor, patent to issue, and the third person is going to be the new money coming in. New money coming in is, isn't really in, interested in the income, more interested in the IPO, more interested in a stock disposition at the back end. The prior moneyed person, prior investor, is interested in utilizing his losses. So obviously those things sound too inconsistent at first. What you can do is these par partnership can in fact hold qualified small business stock and can pass it out to the partners who can then take advantage of this. The idea being is that we're going to skew income to the guy who wants to use his losses, right? We're going to try to make the capital, dis you know, the distributions really on the preferred return to the new investor. And in an effort on an ongoing basis, we're going to have the corporation actually run, do fulfillment inventory, and some of the other functions. Retain the patent, probably the royalties to the inventor. So we do have a purpose for all this. But eventually, at some trigger point, the partnership ends, the stock is distributed, and typically at that point, they'll probably go, if everything goes according to plan, probably go for either an IPO or be acquired. Now, why is that important? Most of us, when you initially look at these things in isolation, you say to yourself that we're limited. We, we, we cannot reconcile the two when, in fact, you can now, in my setting, I don't have a venture cap firm, so I'm not, they're not interested in the next project, although the new investor may be. The guy who put the money in is looking to lick his wounds, so to speak, is just interested in getting his capital back and then getting some return in whatever form it may come. And the inventor, of course, is interested in cashing out and you know, sitting on a beach somewhere eventually. But in each of those settings, for the inventor, we're looking at what he has. What does he have? For estate planning purpose, we're concerned about the patent and the royalty. For the uh, we're also concerned for him in that this asset forms a certain part of his gross estate for the exclusion. You know, business asset, active trader business, form 35% or 50% greater of the person's gross estate, they, there are special provisions in terms of paying the tax. So you can extend that on a multiple number of years. So we're looking for that qualification as well. And that can come in either form. But the qualified small business stock, the exclusion itself, it will prob probably be the most beneficial one. We have to hold it for five years, which may be enough time to get the business up and running and get a positive multiple, and certainly not selling in this environment. But more importantly, I think once Once we have that qualification for the original issuance, all right, 
this thing can also morph and take other forms. The, the, issue, the, the status of qualified small business stock would follow through in a reorganization, right? It would follow through if the pa partnerships were combined. We also note that, that uh, you have tacking of holding periods and then that partnerships can also distribute the stock out and they can take different forms going forward. So it's probably a very flexible provision. Now the practical application is for an accountant. You're looking at somebody who has a loss on a small business stock, you have to ask yourself, can we somehow convert this loss into an ordinary loss under 1244? It's worth investigating, all right? If you're doing a buy-sell agreement or any new formations, there's a limitation on who can have 1244 stock. It's the first million dollars of capital. Do we want to apportion that? My investor, the new money guy, would want that. He insists upon that, and he insists on capping his contribution at a million dollars. Problem today is we need about a million and a half. But for him, having the opportunity to take the ordinary loss will be worthwhile. So those are the types of things you're looking for. But I think if you look at businesses and the dispositions, I think you should either gain or loss. I think you've got to go back and look at these things and grunt through and say, is there any possibility that these things do apply? Because I think it's probably something that just we, we just walk past all the time. The disparity you see between the $1 million loss limitation, that started back in the 50s, and then you know, that never kept pace. So I think in terms of capital formation, it would have made a lot more sense if you had symmetrical exclusion. You know, if you want to set it at 10 or $20 million of new money and that those people can elect to take the loss as an ordinary loss, I think you have a greater incentive right, to business and capital formation. Now, when you loan money to a business, and you wind up losing, it's not necessarily an ordinary loss, depending, it's a bad debt loss, a bit, but it may not necessarily be a business loss. Why? Because you may not be in the business of loaning money. You may not be in the business of loaning money to new enterprises or in capital formation. You may have an existing career. So if you're a CPA and you were to loan a business, it be very, maybe difficult for you to take the stance that you get this because this is what you do. So in an effort to probably eliminate a lot of those arguments and structural issues, I think this would be one of the things I think that if they reformed, they could probably get a little bit more bang for their buck in terms of on a, go a going forward basis. I think it would incentivize people because they could look at it and understand that, okay, I'm putting this in, but if it goes bad, I will get the ordinary loss. And I think that would, that would definitely, you know, capital loss, as we know, is limited to $3,000 a year, which is obviously not helpful if you put in a substantial sum of money. If once you exceed the million dollar limitation, you don't lose 1244 status for that new money. It's just the only the original money can get that ordinary loss. So there are a number of things that you can do, but you know, again, you know, there are reorganizations permitted. You can designate which shares you know, will get the million dollar limitation as opposed to some or the other. So for example, a founder may have shares, but he won't, he won't have the shares designated to take the loss. And then finally, Usually in an F reorganization, it'll carry the 1244 loss with it. Be very careful about recapitalizations and redemptions because sometimes that upsets the balance of what you expect.